This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. Today is, well, in the United States, it is Thanksgiving Eve. It is Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. That, of course, means it is DCA Wednesday, and that also means it's a big holiday here in the United States. Most nine-to-five type normies are off work. They're home celebrating with their families. Uh, There are other countries that have a Thanksgiving celebration or Thanksgiving-like celebration, But Thanksgiving here in the United States is our one truly unique American holiday. I guess Juneteenth and the new federal holidays are uniquely American as well because they're specific to America. But the Thanksgiving itself was, as most of you probably know, originated back in colonial days and in the Plymouth colony in Massachusetts, which was an English colony in what would later become the United States. Back in 1621, when the pilgrims or the English colonists met and celebrated to uh, give thanks for their successful harvest. And of course, the politically correct crowd in the last 20 years or so has uh, tried to tarnish Thanksgiving, make it uh, about, you know, make it more of a a racist, anti-Native American holiday, or at least smear the fact that the legend is that the the colonists were, were, were peaceful and invited the local indigenous people to celebrate the first Thanksgiving holiday with them, regardless of whether you believe that or not, or what you believe, or whether you just use it as an excuse to try and orange pill your friends and family. If you're here in the United States, tomorrow will be a day where we eat way too much turkey and probably argue with the the members of our family that we don't agree with over politics, Bitcoin, what have you. Going back a little bit further in time, obviously, you know, we know the roots of Thanksgiving being a religious day, a day of giving thanks. Uh, for the colonists surviving their their brutal first first uh, first first months in the new world, uh, but mo- going more mainstream, Thanksgiving didn't really become a federal holiday until during the American Civil War, and that was when President Abraham Lincoln established Thanksgiving as a federal holiday, celebrating at the time on the last Thanksgiving of November. Uh, fast forwarding to. 1939, according to the Courier-Journal in 1939, department store mogul Fred Lazarus Jr. concerned that the late Thanksgiving that year would mean less shopping days before Christmas, persuaded President Franklin D. Roosevelt to move Thanksgiving back a week. For a couple years, the confused nation celebrated the holiday on two different days. To end the confusion, Congress passed a joint resolution signed by Roosevelt on December 26, 1941. Uh, not the date which will live in infamy, but a couple of weeks later, apparently, my words, that established Thanksgiving as a federal holiday held on the fourth Thursday of November. And of course, since that time, the fourth Thursday of November in the United States has been not only a federal holiday, um, but traditionally the kickoff of the, the, the Christmas season with the Friday after Thanksgiving being quote unquote Black Friday, where all the stores have their insanely good deals that you have to wait in line the night before, et cetera, and, and get in brawls and pepper spray, et cetera, to take advantage of, apparently. And the rest is history. 
But for us Bitcoiners, tomorrow is probably the day when you're eagerly looking forward to strutting in front of all your Noikoiner family members who you've probably uh, had arguments with or been shamed by or mocked by relentlessly during the, the crypto winter. If they know you're a uh, if they know you're a Bitcoiner, when Bitcoin has crashed and and you know the 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 people that either mocked you or said, "Oh, how are you? Are, are you are you okay?" Because you know Bitcoin is obviously dead, and uh, and and this Thanksgiving it's not. So all I will say is is take it easy on your friends and family because as you get older, uh, the number of members of your family begin to dwindle, and the times when you get together get fewer and further between, and you know you don't really want your memories to be about ripping each other's hair out over who you're going to vote for for president, what your favorite sports team is, or or Bitcoin. Because let's face it, everyone in your family, they know you're the Bitcoin guy. And when the time comes, uh, you're the person they're going to come to. You can Uncle Jim them and help them uh, understand Bitcoin when they're, when they're ready to be orange-pilled. And, you know, this is maybe a little bit of hypocrisy from me because when I was first into Bitcoin, I pushed Bitcoin a lot harder than I do now. I tried to orange-pill every one of my friends and family members. And for the most part, I was very, very unsuccessful. I did manage to kind of orange pill a family member all the way back in 2007. And uh, I'm not going to dox who it is, but Bitcoin was, was valued. It was trading on Coinbase for about $400 a coin at the time. And it was getting ready. This is just getting ready to go into its, its then all-time high when it blasted all the way up to almost 20,000. But at the time it was about $400 of Bitcoin and I convinced them to invest $100, to put $100, open a Coinbase account, put $100 into Bitcoin. And so for $100, they bought a quarter of a Bitcoin. And clearly, clearly they saw that that was a heck of a good idea, um, but they never bought any more. And so I brought it up again, probably about a year ago. Uh, I started mentioning, remember how Bitcoin went from you know, less than a thousand dollars to twenty thousand dollars in 2017, and that was because of the thing called the having. And I and I gave them a little bit more education about about how Bitcoin has done this repeatedly. Every four years, we have a a, a having and the minor reward, and then Bitcoin goes on a face melting, euphoric, over the top bull run uh, a year to eighteen months later. And and that that I firmly believe that that was going to happen again after the April 2024 having. Uh, and so I convinced them to buy some more. They 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 looked at their account. They they had looked at their account before and knew what their knew what their gain on their hundred dollar investment was. So now they put in substantially more than a hundred dollars. And ironically, uh, I, I think all they did was end up ultimately over several purchases, only buying about another quarter Bitcoin. So they're like half coiners now. But that second half of a Bitcoin cost them, or the second quarter of a Bitcoin cost them a heck of a lot more. In the first quarter, they scored for only $100. So the point being, even if you work really hard to orange bill your friends and family, they're not going to get it until they're ready. It's kind of like the touch the stove analogy. Even if you present the best evidence and the best case, and in this case, even physically show them with their own money uh, just how awesome Bitcoin is and just how it's it uh, just how it can change their life one day when we when we approach Bitcoin hyperbitcoinization. You're still just not going to get it till you get it because they haven't put in the work. Even though I told them everything I thought they needed to know, uh, you you don't know until you do it yourself, right? I could tell you what a rhubarb pie tastes like in a midwestern autumn afternoon with the gold, with the leaves, you know, uh, the smell of the wet orange and red leaves on the trees in the morning. 
And I can paint a picture for you about, you know, about that. But you just don't know what the leaves smell like, what the forest smells like. You don't know what a rhubarb pie tastes like until you've had it, regardless of how good I am at explaining it to you. Uh, there's that Jimmy Buffett song, please don't say manana if you don't mean it. You know, don't ever try to describe the ocean if you don't see if you don't seen it. Uh, if you haven't seen it, just remember you might end up being wrong. Great Jimmy Buffett song. We spoke about Jimmy Buffett a couple episodes back when when right after he passed. But the point is that you can be the best educator in the world. You can be your own personal Andrea in Santanopolis, you know, your own your own Marty Bent, your own uh, your own uh a Canadian dude, I'm spacing on his name now. Your own Adam Meister, not the Canadian dude, but uh, your own Adam Meister, your own educator. You can be fantastic in in your in your communication skills, and you can be the most knowledgeable Bitcoiner on the earth. And your friends still aren't going to get it until they do the research themselves. You know, even Michael Saylor said it. You have to put in the thousand hours of research. Uh, and I'm 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 getting off on a huge tangent here because I want to get into the I want to get into the news. And I want to get into making our DCA Wednesday stack. But my point being, don't beat up your friends and family. They're going to realize you're right in their own time. And, uh, and no need to ruin Thanksgiving if, if you haven't already been able to orange pill your friends and family members. They'll come to Bitcoin. And of course, they'll get, they'll get Bitcoin at the price they deserve. And I know that's what makes it hard because we want to see our friends. We want to see our family members get on board early. Um, but, you know it's more important that they're going to remain your friends and family members than, than, than be early adopters. Just my two cents or my two sats on that. All right. Before we get any further into the, into today's uh, news or this week's news or our DCA Wednesday stack, let's take a real quick look at the vital statistics. As I mentioned, today is Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. At the time of recording, we are at a block height of 818,032 TikTok next block. That puts us, just that puts us less than 22,000 blocks till the next halving. 21,968 blocks to be exact. As you know, the, the Bitcoin miner reward halving happens approximately every four years. Uh, but when it actually happens is every 210,000 blocks, or in this case, it's going to be block 840,000. So just under 21,000 blocks to go. Guys and girls, it's already Thanksgiving. Before you know it, it's already going to be already going to be Christmas, and the next thing you know, before before you know it, we're going to be celebrating that having, and uh, and buckle up because it's going to be exciting. It's already getting exciting. You can already feel the change in the air, so to speak. You can already hear the spring in the step of your favorite podcasters. Uh, you can already hear the plebs getting more excited. The memes are starting to pop up on Twitter or X again. Uh, it's starting to get fun. So uh, buckle up. Because it's coming, TikTok next block. But I digress. At the time of recording, Bitcoin is ringing in at a U.S. dollar value of thirty-seven thousand three hundred and eighty dollars, or two thousand six hundred and seventy-six sats per dollar. Part of that's getting into that news I wanted to talk about because if you're following the Bitcoin price religiously, Bitcoin crashed uh, yesterday in in response to some pretty big news. Um, but if you're if you zoom out, if you're not obsessing over the price charts. We're exactly where we were last week. In fact, that big crash into the mid $35,000 range only put us where we were two DCA Wednesday episodes ago, you know, on November 8th, when we bought Bitcoin for $35,545. So zoom out, buckle up, because we're still heading up and to the right. And speaking of up and to the right, Bitcoin's market capitalization is currently ringing at $730.8 billion. It's been less than a month 
since we were at the half a billion dollar range and I was mentioning that you know Bitcoin will have officially begun its its hype cycle maybe not its hype cycle but the the early stages of the hype cycle will not really begin until either something really amazing happens and maybe something has we'll get into that but or when Bitcoin hits a trillion dollar market cap again because even without an ETF, even without any big news item, any golden swan, white swan type of news events, when Bitcoin retakes its $1 trillion market capitalization, uh, that's when you're going to see them talking about the price of Bitcoin nonstop on CNBC and all the Fox business. I mean, they're already starting to, but when we retake $1 trillion, then it becomes a real asset. It becomes, you know, it becomes on par with, with the 10 most uh, valued corporations traded on the stock exchange. So uh, we're getting close. And uh, it might not happen till after the halving because, you know, zooming out, you know, in the previous halving, right about this exact same point in time, we had a little Bart Simpson pattern where we got a big bump. And then, of course, Bitcoin dropped significantly a month or so before the halving. Uh, if that were to repeat itself, that would be kind of like us dipping back into the, you know, back below 30,000, maybe into the 20s again. Who, who knows? Every time is a little bit different. You know, they, I don't have a crystal ball and history doesn't necessarily repeat, but it rhymes. And if it does rhyme, uh, there's, then the, there's no reason we should believe that, that we're going to not see, you know, the, the, it would be hard for me to believe we'd be seeing Adam Back's 100,000 Bitcoin before the halving date. Because just traditionally... It hasn't happened that way. Traditionally, we really go sideways until after the halving. And by sideways, that's a zoom out perspective because, for example, I just mentioned, you know, Bitcoin went way up and then and then sh then crashed down by like 30% a month or two before the halving. So zooming out, it was a sideways because basically Bitcoin had a, has gains and then gives up those gains. So in theory, we could be, you know, at, at the at the $30,000, $32,000 range when Bitcoin does make it to the, the halving. And that would just be normal. You know, maybe that won't be the case. Maybe this time is a little bit different. Maybe we will hit 100,000 before the halving like Adam Back uh, has, like his bet he has, is on, his running bet he has on Twitter. And that would be that would be cool. But I would also enjoy stacking cheaper sats. So I'm good with it either way. I don't want to give up my foothold in the accumulation phase just yet. The more sats we can acquire, the better. Because remember, when Bitcoin does hit 100,000 per Bitcoin, we're only going to be able to stack, you know, 1,000 sats per dollar. And, and that's you know, less than half of what we're getting right now. So I would prefer to stack sats because I have a sneaking suspicion most of you are in the same boat I'm in. And that is I have a decent pile of sats, but I don't feel like I have enough. And I don't think I'll ever feel like I have enough because if you really appreciate what Bitcoin is all about, if you think Bitcoin is the future, if you think Bitcoin is hope, even if the US dollar never goes away and it, it remains the, the world reserve currency for the next thousand years for some miracle of, you know, sorcery, Bitcoin is still going to be the lifeboat to uh, escape the increasing, encroaching authoritarianism and censorship that uh, that governments around the world, especially the globalist movement out there, are trying to uh, ratchet down on top of us. And speaking of escape hatches, traditionally that escape hatch has belonged to the gold bugs. And for those of you who do value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks, it will currently cost you 18.9 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. That is still a bargain. In the grand scheme of things, uh, because as I say repeatedly on this show, it is only a matter of time before we're talking about pounds of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. Right now, if you are on the fence about uh, whether or not you should move some of your gold into Bitcoin, you can do so for just 18.9 ounces per Bitcoin. 
Uh, and again, you get Bitcoin at the price you deserve. So right now that's 18.9 ounces. Uh, and Bitcoin, you know, is trending to zero in terms in terms of uh, gold is trending to zero in, in terms of Bitcoin. Uh, you know, gold will always probably be there, even if we're only wearing it as jewelry. But uh, as far as, you know, even if gold retains its one-to-one value, even if gold is a store value and, it, and, and one ounce of gold will buy you in 100 years exactly the same thing that one ounce of gold will buy you today, uh, all you did was not lose ground. You're, you're definitely not going, you definitely would have missed out on these, uh, these 6X, 10X, 20X, 30X runups. And this isn't a trading show. Um, this isn't a Moon Boy show. I'm just, uh, I'm just getting excited, and I'm reminding you that you get the price, you get Bitcoin at the price that you deserve. And if you're a Peter Schiff type who has not put any of your gold or any of your wealth into Bitcoin, currently your chance to do so is at 18.9 ounces per Bitcoin. And for those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 2,090 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. That is more. Then five and a half years worth of pizza. If you order one pizza every night for dinner, you can do so for five, almost five and three quarter years, 2,090 days of pizza, you know, providing they don't raise the price of pizza or uh, go to a Bitcoin standard where they won't, uh, won't accept anything but Satoshi's. And then that price that I'm referencing that on and decreasing, increasingly decreasing in decreasing value fiat, increasingly worthless fiat. Uh, that will change that. Looking at on-chain activity, the mempool is about twice as full as it was last week. According to Clark Moody's dashboard, he has 58 blocks worth of transactions in his mempool. I know there's some contention there because mempool.space is showing more than double the amount of transactions in their mempool than Clark Moody has in his mempool. Uh, but either way, that is that is twice as many transactions as we saw last week. However, hopefully some of the uh, the the BRC20 token shenanigans, the ordinals and inscription shenanigans is fading because fees have begun to reduce a tiny bit. Last week they were through the roof. Clark Moody's fee estimator was saying that if you wanted to guarantee an on-chain transaction was included in the next block, it was going to cost you 129 sats per V-byte. Mempool.space was saying it was going to cost you 132 sats per V-byte. That was working out to almost seven US dollars for an on-chain transaction. And today that is looking not quite half as cheap, but uh 30% cheaper or so. Clark Moody's fee estimator is saying that it a fee of 87 sats for VByte will guarantee that your, your transaction is included in the next block. And that if you have a data weight that you can use as a fee as low as 10 sats per VByte and a low priority transaction that you don't mind taking a week or so, uh, you can set your fee at six sats per V-byte. Mempool.space is recommending an immediate high-priority transaction have a 86 cent sat per V-byte fee. That works out to about $4.50. Again, that's 86 sats per V-byte instead of 132 last week, so a significant reduction in fees. Still really high compared to where they had been during the accumulation phase. And if you have a little bit longer to wait, they're saying a low-priority or a no priority transaction can have a fee as low as 26 sats per V-byte. Obviously, that's a lot higher than Clark Moody's six sat per V-byte for a low or no priority transaction. And that still works out to about $1.36 uh, for the 26 sat per V-byte, that is. Okay, that transaction that metric that you know I like to follow, what has traditionally been my favorite 
uh, transaction metric, Bitcoin's 24 average on-chain activity is still through the roof. It's a little bit, it's come down a little bit from last week. Last week, we were looking at 6.86 seconds or transactions per second on average. And currently we're looking at only 6.05 seconds transactions per second. That's not a real tongue twister. I have no idea why I have a hard time saying that. Um, but either way, traditionally, since I started this podcast two and a half years ago, before Taproot and before uh, the ordinals and inscriptions, anytime we saw more than three transactions per second, more than about three 3.14 or pi transactions per second, the price of Bitcoin was usually going up. And that kind of went out the roof as more transactions were being or more transactions are able to be packed in uh, into a block because you know they're only using the header space when they're talking ordinals and inscriptions uh, the because the, the way that the portions of the Bitcoin transaction are weighted and that was uh, that was a compromise that they made to to increase the the block space without actually increasing the block space that kind of played some accounting gimmicks to allow more data to fit by weighing the data differently and using a block weight instead of just a block size. Uh, but that's a tangent. The point being the trend 24 hour and transaction activity is down a little bit. And that corresponded with the dip in price, which we've almost completely recovered from, but price is not up from last week. So that metric while distorted since uh, taproot is still holding that transactions are down from last week and price is down from last week as well. So not necessarily an official metric that anybody besides me uses and and it's there's no real ta no transaction analysis here it's just something that i have noticed by reading this statistic every wednesday for two and a half years that i i've noticed that when the transactions are going up so is the price that's just the way it's been doesn't necessarily mean there's a correlation correlation is not necessarily causation speaking of on chain you know that the difficulty to mine a block is adjusted approximately every two weeks with the goal of maintaining blocks coming in once every 10 minutes. This isn't two weeks because once again, Bitcoin does everything in terms of blocks, not in terms of human time. So difficulty is adjusted every 2,016 blocks. And often that's been faster than two weeks because hash rate has been increasing as more miners and better miners have been coming on the market throughout all of Bitcoin's history. And that is no different. We are approximately... 464 blocks away from the next difficulty adjustment. That's looking like it's going to be three days from now on November 25th. And we had been looking at a decrease because about a week and a half ago, we had a pretty big difficulty increase of three and a half percent. And that really slowed things down. Last Wednesday, blocks were averaging 10 minutes and 16 seconds between blocks as a result of that difficulty increase. However, what a difference a week makes because Things have definitely sped up quite a bit. We're now looking at another big increase in just three days of anywhere between 3.5 to 3.94%. So maybe even a bigger difficulty adjustment than two weeks ago. And that's because blocks are currently averaging nine minutes and 40 seconds. So 36 seconds faster than they were last week. And I was listening to a couple of different podcasts that were talking to uh, different miners. One of them, I think, was like Revolution Mining. Uh, they're a company where you can buy miners and they'll host them for you. And they were talking about the next generation app miners, the S20s, have either been delivered or are sold out and spoken for and are coming soon. And even if they haven't been delivered, Bitmain, the largest manufacturer of mining equipment in the world, has a nasty habit of, quote unquote, testing their miners for 90 days to six months before they package them and ship them out. I remember when the S9s came out, 
people were complaining because they were coming out dusty. The fans had clearly been run for an extended period of time. So if they are doing that, uh, that would mean that new mining equipment has been coming on already, even though the S20s aren't necessarily sitting in commercial mining farms yet, uh, you know, hooked up to racks and humming away that Bitmain at least probably has been running them. Either way, there's been an increase in hash rate enough to justify that 3.5% difficulty increase two weeks ago and potentially another 35 to 4% difficulty increase in just two weeks. And again, all of that is to keep blocks averaging at one block every 10 minutes. Real quick, I want to thank those of you listening to your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, such as Fountain. You can earn Satoshis just for listening to your favorite podcasts on Fountain. It kind of depends on the day, but basically what they say is that you can earn sats for listening to your first hour of your favorite content every day, and sometimes even more Satoshis by listening to featured content where the uh, where the, I guess people are trying to promote a, a podcast. Or for example, one podcast I used to listen to, the last podcast of every month, uh, they would they would uh, stream you like a thousand or two thousand sats just for listening to their podcast. So you can earn sats by listening to your favorite uh, podcasts on Fountains. But perhaps more importantly, you can help support your favorite podcasts by streaming sats to your favorite podcast via Fountain or via Breeze. And you can do so in one of two ways. You can do so on the value for value model where you set a sat per minute rate and you can stream as you listen based on what you feel you're getting out of listening to that podcast. And think of it kind of like you're listening to a street performer. If you're in Key West or somewhere and there's a street performer or a musician and they're playing and they've got their tin cup and they got their hat out and you throw a quarter or a dollar or whatever you feel that entertainment has provided to you. And another way you can do so is by sending a boost. And that's kind of like a smash tip. That's a one-time deal. It's Basically, it's a shout-out because it's a message that you send on the Lightning Network. So you can send stats, and you can let your favorite podcasters know what you think or send them a message. And we have one boost to read. It is from longtime listener Leggy, and Leggy sends 3,000 sats. And this sounds like an apology. It says, had some problems with my LND node and was too lazy to fix them. So boosting was difficult. And uh, that is completely understandable. No need to apologize for having issues with your lightning node. Nobody owes us sats for listening. This is a completely uh, completely voluntary thing. So I, I appreciate each and every one of you. And thank you so much for those sats, Leggy. It's really cool to know, to know, to know you're out there and, and to read your, your comments in addition to receiving the sats. Because I can see the statistics of where people are listening from. And I know we have a certain number of listeners in various countries around the world. And it's cool to know that because, I mean, that's really cool to know that I get a uh, get reach. But actually hearing from individual plebs like you, Leggy, uh, that's the that's what gets me into the studio to record these podcasts. Besides my love of Bitcoin and my love of helping orange pill people, it's really cool to to get the alert that you got a boost. Uh, and, and even you don't have to boost us. You don't have to send us sats. You can send me a DM on Twitter and just let me know what you think about the podcast. And on Twitter, we're at BTC Bulletin Pod. And if you don't use Twitter or X, again, we're at BTC Bulletin Pod. You can send me an email. The email address is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. Bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. And I just really like to hear from you specifically. For example, I know where Leggy is. I follow Leggy on Twitter. And uh, and so that's cool. So that, that, that personal connection there is about more than just the sats. But perhaps as importantly, it does help support you know, help support me make this content. So thank you very much, Leggy. And thank you to all of you listening, regardless of where you're listening from. And even if you don't have sats, and even if you aren't listening on uh, 
Fountain or Podcast 2.0 and you, you're not in a position where you desire or want to uh, send a boost, thank you for listening anyway. I would appreciate you listening or reaching out and sending a DM or sending an email just to say hi, uh, because it's really cool. And I learned something every week from Leggy. For example, uh, we learned how to say uh, what a customary greeting in Luxembourg would be because they speak multiple languages in Luxembourg, but one of them was Luxembourgish that I did not know. And Leggy sent us a boost months and months ago where they said that one of the traditional greetings in Luxembourg was Morian, which is similar to Morgan, like morning, Guten Morgan in German, but in Luxembourgish. So I've learned a lot through these, through these, uh, through these boosts. So thank you very much for the boost. Thank you for the support. And thank you for the knowledge. And speaking of our geographic distribution of listeners, that has remained unchanged. 55% of you are listening from right here in the United States. 11% of you are listening from Argentina. And congratulations to those of you who are in Argentina, because one of the big news items was they had a presidential election on Sunday where libertarian candidate Javier Malay won in what I guess is being reported as a landslide. And he's definitely going to be a radical change for Argentina if he gets his way, because that country has been under the grips of the Peronist Party since basically World War II. And, um, you know, that's a socialist, uh, centrally planned, centrally controlled uh, government. And as a result, they've had horrific hyperinflation and default uh, throughout their history on multiple, uh, multiple occasions. I believe their current interest rate, or interest rate, inflation rate is somewhere around 125% right now. And hopefully, hopefully Javier Malay will help get that under control. And while he may or may not be a Bitcoiner, it would be cool if he is, even just going with the dollarization, um, you know, going away from uh, the Argentine peso and, and using the US dollar as legal tender uh, would definitely bring more stability than Argentina currently has. Obviously, the US dollar is inflationary as well, but our inflation at five or six percent or whatever the official numbers are right now is nowhere near the 125 percent or so that you people have had to suffer through in Argentina for so so many times repeatedly. So congratulations. Uh, and muchas gracias, amigos in Argentina, for, for listening. But congratulations on, on the election of Javier Malay. Number three remains Germany, where 7% of you are. So danke schön, mein Freund in Deutschland. Number four remains Luxembourg. So danke uh, schön, or Morian, to our friends in Luxembourg. Number five remains Canada. So hello to you up in the frozen white north. As Greg Foss says, hiding out in America's attic. Uh, it's probably starting to get really cold and dark up there. I'm here in sunny Florida. And even today was not so sunny Florida. It was kind of misty and rainy most of the day. And we have a cold front moving through. So the high tomorrow is only going to be 72 degrees, uh, which is still shorts and flip-flop weather. And it's actually really nice shorts and flip-flop weather. It's supposed to hot, humid, and an oppressive, oppressive. But uh, I'm not trying to rub it in your face if you're up there in Canada. I'm just saying I appreciate you. Uh, because I couldn't do it. I uh, I do not like the cold. I might come visit and make a, make a snowman or something, but I couldn't live in it. Number six remains Spain. So muchas gracias, amigos. Number seven remains Colombia. Again, muchas gracias, amigos, in Colombia. Number eight remains Sweden. Thank you to those of you listening in Sweden. Somebody DM me and let me know what a proper greeting in Sweden and Swedish is how to say hello or thank you in Sweden. You don't have to send me a boost, but I know you're listening. I see the stats. So send me a DM at BTC Bulletin Bot on Twitter. I'm not trying to guilt trip you into, into sending a, a boost, I promise. I really, really want to know what a proper greeting is, just like I didn't know how to say Morian in Luxembourgish until Leggy reached out. Number nine remains Singapore. Same to you in Singapore. 
Uh, thank you for listening. Somebody please reach out to me and let me know what the customary greeting is in Singapore, how I should say hello or thank you. Again, DM me on Twitter. You don't have to send a boost. Number 10 remains Venezuela. So muchas gracias, muchas gracias amigos in Venezuela. Another company that, country that could definitely benefit from Bitcoin. I know there's a lot of Bitcoiners down there. So it's not surprising to see you're in the top 10, but it's really, really great ingratiating. I'm incredibly grateful for all of you, regardless of where you're listening. Uh, and it's particularly cool today to know that 11% of you were listening from Argentina. So congratulations on your new president. Uh, and that so many of you are listening from Venezuela, where Bitcoin's hopefully making a huge improvement in your daily lives as well. All right, on to the news. And again, the big news was Sunday's election of Javier Malay in Argentina. A lot of people are just kind of assuming that maybe he'll use Bitcoin in some way to help make the lives of Argentines, Argentines, Argentinians better. I don't think I've ever heard him say anything like that. I've heard he said he's going to trim the size of government and. Uh, and and get rid of the central bank. And that is a heck of a huge first step because Argentina has been run into the ground by that central bank since World War II, since well before I was born. Speaking of central planning and Marxism and all things evil, Robert Breedlove had a really good podcast. His The What Is Money Show, It's sometimes it's not my style. As you can tell, I tend to speak fast and, and, and hopefully with energy. Sometimes I'm not as energetic as other podcasts, but other times I'm probably like I'm bouncing off the walls. Not at a Meister energetic, but uh, Robert Breedlove is more metered and, and thoughtful and slow and intellectual. Uh, and so sometimes that's not my cup of tea, but he had a really great podcast. He's always has an informative podcast, but this one was entitled The Digital Demise of Cultural Marxism, and he had Chase Perkins on. I believe it debuted on Friday. That's when I listened to it anyway. And one of the things that I thought was funny, there's some great comments all throughout. In fact, you know, it might start out kind of slow. I think it was, it was about the 40-minute mark in where it just started seeming like I, w I wanted to start taking notes uh, just because some of the quotes were fantastic. Like at some point in the time, uh, Robert Breelove says, Marxism is the Scientology of economics. And Basically, I thought that was hysterical, but they, they get into Marxism and religion and, and things like that. And it's a great podcast. If you've never listened to What Is Money show, uh, check out that one. And speaking of Marxism, the Biden administration has been in full gaslighting mode this week, attempting to convince you that this is the fourth best economy in world history. He actually had the huevos, his administration, his spokespeople to say, it's because because inflation has tempered, and by that, they try to imply prices have come down, not gone up more slowly, but actually cut in half, like prices have cut in half. They said, because prices have basically cut in half, and because you are earning more because the cost of wages has gone up, that this is actually the fourth most prosperous Thanksgiving in U.S. history, that you are doing better than only three other, there's only three other times in U.S. history where you would have been doing better financially. And obviously, I, I, I mean, I want to laugh at it. it it's, it's, it, it's so stupid. It's so outrageous. It's so in your face if you've been to a grocery store that, um, that I can't get mad at it. I mean, everybody knows you can smell the BS oozing on the on uh, oozing from that pile of dung a mile away because, you know, maybe Joe Biden and maybe the pointy-headed liberals in New York that have private shoppers or if they go to a you know the 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 tavern on the green and spend fifty thousand dollars on a meal. They don't really get what it cost them, what it costs to go to the grocery store and try and buy food to feed your family on a regular basis, let alone a big feast like Thanksgiving. 
they don't realize that it's a big deal for the average American family when milk goes from 99 cents a gallon to $6 a gallon, or even $4 a gallon. You know, even if the cost of milk came down to $2.50 a gallon, you know, doubling your family's grocery bill. I mean, there's certain, there's certain things in life that you have to spend money on, right? I mean, you don't necessarily need to take a ski vacation or a or, you know, a beach vacation or take the family to Disney world or go see, you know, um, Tierra del Fuego or the Galapagos islands. Those are nice, really cool things to do. But the one thing everyone has to do is eat. And when you are just getting by, uh, and the price of groceries is a big chunk of your of your family budget, doubling the price of your groceries, tripling the price of your groceries really impacts what you can do. And all of a sudden, it isn't a matter of we can't go on vacation this summer. All of a sudden, it's a matter of we can barely afford to eat. How are we going to buy these groceries? Are we going to be able to pay the car insurance this week? What, you know, can we go to the doctor? I've got a surgery I need to have, but I can't really afford the copay. Decisions real Americans are having to make. And these decisions hurt. And they literally hurt in some cases. There are people that are getting sick and dying because they're having medical procedures delayed because they don't have the money. And for the president of the United States to tell people that at no point in time, except for three other days in U.S. history, have you ever been richer, ever been better off? Uh, that's kind of infuriating. Uh, fortunately, I can laugh it off, even though it's irritating because I know nobody believes it because Everyone I know does their own grocery shopping. Nobody I know spends $50,000 on a steak. Even if you're a high roller and you can go out to eat every night and spend, you know, go to a really nice steakhouse, buy a $100 steak, you know, you still notice when that $100 steak becomes a $200 steak. Uh, so you've got to be really out of touch to think that the people in America are doing so well right now. But there's only been three other Thanksgivings in history that they were doing better. Friends and family, that's what's called gaslighting. Speaking of the BS of gaslighting, I saw this recommendation on Yahoo Finance last week, and I about choked. The headline is, Wedding Loans and Other Ways to Pay for a Wedding. If you're planning a wedding, you probably already know your big day could come with a big price tag. Ideally, your savings account would cover wedding costs, but many couples and families don't have sufficient funds saved up to pay for everything. Financing is one alternative to help you pay for your big day. They go on to continue, many banks and credit unions offer wedding loans, which are really unsecured personal loans. Loan terms range generally from, range from 12 to 84 months, and loan payments can be as small as $500 or as large as $100,000. Holy shit! <laughs> I, I'm, I'm speechless. Financing a wedding. I, financing a lot of things is a foreign concept to me. I mean, I'm a, I have an aversion to, aversion, aversion to debt right now, but financing a wedding, I mean, it, a wedding is supposed to be a unification of, of a man and a woman, you know, two people coming together. I'm not going to get into the gay wedding, a union, a union of two people. I said man and a woman, whatever, not trying to offend anybody. A wedding used to be where two people were coming together to form a family, and now it seems like it's the Kardashians trying to show off their latest party to see who can outspend each other. This is not new. You know, this was going on 20 or 30 years ago, but it seems like it's only gotten worse. And it has gotten worse when you look at more than 50%, more than one, more than every other marriage will end in divorce. Why in hell would you finance a hundred thousand dollars for a party? That means nothing for a relationship that's going to end as a 50-50 or better chance of ending. I'm not being a doomer on wedding. I'm very bullish on marriage, but I'm 
not I'm not bullish on blowing a hundred thousand dollars for a glitzy glam wedding for especially for these Hollywood celebrity types that have been married like five or six times. You know, the I forget who the celebrity was that was in one of the tabloids the other day that their wedding lasted eight days. They're divorced in eight days. And can you imagine financing that? Could you imagine taking out a hundred thousand dollar loan and then getting divorced eight days later? Yowza. And this is even more ridiculous because they go on to say things like if a low credit score is a barrier for getting approved for a loan, a 401k loan may be another alternative. So if your credit is so crappy, you can't get any kind of loan, take the money out of your 401k to get married. You know, the important thing about being married is the two people, right? Spend no money. Go go to some nice place in the in the forest and 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 hire a, a, a you know a cheap preacher from somewhere and just you know stand out in nature and take your vows or whatever. But um, even if you want to, even if you want to blow a hundred thousand dollars on a wedding, don't take it out of your four hundred one k. That'd be like that for a normie. That'd be like blowing your stash of Bitcoin for the party part of your wedding. Um, that's just. I, I, my, my jaw is hanging open. If this were a video podcast, you, you would be discussing it. It looks like I'm trying to catch flies. But to add insult to injury, if you scrolled down the page, just, just a couple scrolls, just halfway down the page, the next headline is, do I need to worry about the gift tax if I pay $30,000 towards my child's wedding? I... I <laughs> This is worse than the gaslighting from the White House. I don't even know what to say. First, they're saying you take a loan to blow money on your wedding or take the money out of your 401k. And, and then if you do come up with the wedding, oh, by the way, the government wants a piece of that. Because if someone gives you money, if, you have, if you're fortunate enough that your family can help pay for your wedding, well, for you, we're going to take that money because you owe it to us because we're the government. And we know how we, you know, we, deserve, we deserve that money. I mean, I, 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 I'm going to scroll on here because... I I I am so befuddled by this that I'm having a hard time speaking. And if you know anything about me, you know uh, I rarely have a hard time speaking. Right? Bluetooth quite quite, quite the opposite Bluetooth half the time. Connected. All right. So the other big news of the week was the SEC and Department of Justice settlement with Binance. So Binance, the world's largest altcoin casino basically uh you know the government has been targeting that for years like five or six years they've been trying to go after cz it was originally based in like hong kong and then the chinese government kind of started getting in their case so they've been this floating exchange and you know in theory they're not supposed to be open to u.s customers but i guess it's it's no secret that they've been allowing peak customers to use vpns to subvert that and they've been up to some other hinky stuff so the long and the short of it is it was announced yesterday that uh, the SEC and the DOJ had uh, would reached a settlement where CZ was going to step down from Binance, plead guilty. They were going to pay like a $4 billion fine, and then the, the government was going to end their investigation. That, that was it. They're going to pay to play, you know, move, move on from here. And that tanked the price of Bitcoin. I guess it tanked the price of everything, probably mostly because it tanked the price of their BNB token, with people thinking if Binance collapses, the BNB token will be worthless. Kind of all of the FTX token when the FTX exchange scam collapsed. And the price of Bitcoin tumbled with it because we had all those liquidations that cascaded upon each other, all the, the margin calls, et cetera, and the shorts, uh, the longs that got liquidated. Uh, and that tanked the price of Bitcoin down to like 35500 for a day because we're approximately 24 hours later and the price of Bitcoin has completely recovered. 
I have a different take on this. Yeah, if Binance collapses, we'll probably see another sell-off in the crypto markets, which will impact Bitcoin maybe for months. Um, but the Binance, Binance has been a, a black stain on the, you know, it's a smear out there on the optimism of Bitcoin for years. You know, it's been the thing that people always cite, like when there's money laundering going on or market manipulation going on, Binance is always who they're talking about. So for example, the Binance settlement is the first time I've ever actually felt bullish about a possible Scott Pot Bitcoin ETF. I know there's been a lot of optimism. And when BlackRock filed for an ETF, I was kind of along the opinion that, well, BlackRock is powerful enough that one of two things, either they know something's going to happen and they're acting on inside information, or they think they can make it happen because they're one of the most powerful entities in the world. If they tell the government to hop, the government answers how high. So maybe they were just going to force their will upon the government. They knew the SEC would bow. But I didn't know if either of those were, were true. Now we know it's probably that, um, you know, one of the reasons that the SEC had not been uh, friendly towards a Bitcoin ETF is because of this market manipulation. The SEC has been, they had been on the warpath for Binance for years. And that's kind of one of the things they always cite, the manipulation, the Binance, the, you know, the Binance is out of the control, the unregulated exchange, the wild west of Binance means that, that they wanted investors to stay away from Bitcoin. And that is off the table now. You know, this, this, is, this chapter is closed. It's been settled. Uh, so that reason for the SEC to deny an ETF has just evaporated. So that's, that's actually very, very, very bullish, at least if you're a fan of the possible spot Bitcoin ETF and you think that a spot Bitcoin ETF will help institutions pour money into Bitcoin, you know, institutions and, and, uh, and, and organizations that can't buy Bitcoin and hold it themselves, but can buy traditional financial instruments, unions, pension funds, things like that can pour money into Bitcoin through an ETF. So if you're bullish about that, the Binance settlement actually makes that much, much more likely in my opinion. Also, contributing to the fact that a spot Bitcoin ETF might be about to happen. The headline on the street just six hours ago, BlackRock meets with SEC on structure of Bitcoin ETF, making progress on approval. The world's largest asset manager has reportedly met with regulators to work out redemption structure for its proposed spot Bitcoin ETF. This is a positive sign because previously the SEC has just not approved the ETFs. They just delay it as long as they can. And when their delays when they've used their last delay, their last ability to push it off, then they just say, no. Um, but now we've seen several times where the, the BlackRock and the other companies that have filed for ETFs have filed amendments, which would indicate that the SEC has given them some feedback and say, hey, we'd like some clarification. So they've said, okay, here's the clarification. And now we know BlackRock has met with the SEC to hammer some of this out. And all of those are signs that the SEC is actually working with BlackRock, which would indicate that they're potentially moving towards approval. It's definitely different than when they just flat out ignored it and just, nah, you know, we, we don't, we're not even gonna, we're not even gonna, we're not even gonna look into it. We're just not gonna approve it. The end. Now they're actually at least making overtures. Maybe we're still gonna get to January and they're gonna deny them all. Originally, I would have said better than 50-50. I thought that was the case. I'm starting to be bullish on an approval of an ETF because of the Binance thing and because of the meetings they're having. The only caveat I'll add to that is, remember, they lost the lawsuit. The SEC got sued by, um, by Grayscale, and, th and the judge said that the denial was arbitrary and capricious, the denial of their conversion to an ETF. And so 
it's possible they're just being sneaky and they know that they lost a big a big lawsuit and that they're going to have their ducks in a row. So when they when they deny everything this time, they can say, oh, well, we're not being arbitrary and capricious. See, here's why we denied it. We've got better reasons for denying it this time. So that's the caveat there. Of course, I want to stack as much Bitcoin as possible before BlackRock gets their grubby hands on it. I want you to stack as much before BlackRock as you can before BlackRock and the and Wall Street get their grubby hands on it. So I'm also um, bullish, even if there isn't a spot going BTF. In many ways, I'd be happier if the ETF never gets approved because, like I said, we'll be able to stack more Bitcoin. The longer it stays cheap in my book, the better. Of course, just hours before the Binance news broke, it was announced that the SEC was suing Kraken, alleging it to be an unregistered securities exchange, an unregistered exchange, and selling unregistered securities. Investopedia ran the headline, SEC sues Kraken again, this time for running an unregistered crypto exchange. Their article goes on to say, the US SEC has charged Kraken with operating an unregistered security exchange, broker, dealer, and clearing agency. The lawsuit against Kraken is similar to charges filed by the SEC against crypto exchanges Binance, Bittrex, and Coinbase earlier this year. So this also really isn't anything new. Obviously, if they think Coinbase is an unregistered exchange, Kraken is doing the exact same thing under the exact same structure. So, uh, and you know, and Coinbase is a publicly traded company. The SEC let them list their stock on the on the stock exchange. They let them to go public. So, uh, if anything, Coinbase would be the last person that they that they would want to sue because they've already kind of got precedent saying, "Hey, you gave us the green light, buys, got buddies. What you know, buddy, bold buddy, old pal. What's the problem now? All of a sudden, but if they were going to sue." You know, Coinbase, Bittrex, Binance, etc. It makes sense they'd go after Kraken and Gemini and all the others as well. So nothing to see here. This is just kind of an example of the government wanting not necessarily to squash Bitcoin, but just wanting to get their tentacles wrapped around it. The government would be perfectly happy for Coinbase and Kraken to exist as long as they were fully regulated and they had offices with SEC auditors permanently on location. And, you know, they were paying fines periodically like all the big banks do because, you know, every bank is is charged with something fairly regularly and they have hundreds of million dollars fines for money laundering or violating this, that, or the other thing. And it's just this big racket. I think it's half the money the SEC operates on has got to be coming from, from all these settlements they make with agencies that they regulate and then go after periodically like, Hey, it's your turn. Almost like back in the eighties, I had friends that had beachfront property in Mexico and owning property in Mexico has always been weird. Owning beachfront property is especially regulated Maybe it's gotten a little better recently as it's gotten more mainstream. But back then, they just had these little beach homes on Choya Bay. And about every 10 years, the government would assess them a tax and say, oh, oh, we, you owe us this gigantic new property tax assessment, which was always more than they'd originally paid for the property in total. Oh, and if you can't pay it, we'll just take the property back. And so that's kind of the game that the SEC likes to play with banks and the game I'm sure they'd like to play with exchanges. You know, we'll regulate you. You can keep us you know, in the loop. When we retire, we'll go to work for you in nice cushy positions and you can pay us hundreds of millions of dollars in fines every year so that we can fluff our slush fund. This is also all par for the par for the course for how I believe the United States was going to enter the and then they fight you stage. Obviously, in the United States, we have freedom of speech. We have restrictions on the government that even though they're encroaching on them, um, they know they can't stop Bitcoin. They just physically cannot stop it in the United States. So they're going to harass the ecosystem in every way possible. Their goal is just to make it as big of a pain in the butt as they can. They do this with the capital gains tax, and they're trying to do this with you know, all the other reporting requirements that they've been proposing, the self-custody restrictions that they're imposing. The whole idea is they're fine with Bitcoin being a tool for their elite friends to make money. 
for BlackRock, et cetera, to, you know, to have to sell as a product all nicely packaged up within their, uh, within their, within their scope of their authority and regulation. As long as that money filters back to them in the form of bribes and fines and campaign contributions, et cetera. So, um, this is just all for all par for the course. I don't think the government is trying to get rid of Bitcoin. I think they just want to massage it to where it's just another heavily regulated and controlled investment. And that something that only accredited investors get to participate in and that the average person doesn't have a part in. They certainly want to close the door on it being an escape hatch. You know, if they ever issue the CBDC here in the United States or other countries where they're already planning on doing so, obviously they would, they, they want to close that escape hatch off. They know they can't make Bitcoin go away, but they can just make it inconvenient for you to use and scary enough to use uh, that it, it might be a lifeboat, but if no one's willing to get into it, um, you know, that's their goal. They, they want to, they want to scare you that, Hey, there's already a hole in the lifeboat. We know the Titanic's sinking, but it's not sinking as fast as the lifeboat's going to going to. So just don't get in the lifeboat. And that, that's kind of the, their strategy here. All right. Let's get on to the point of today. The point being that it's DCA Wednesday and get that stack made. Because if you've been following us, you know that every Wednesday we buy $20 of the Bitcoin and add it to our pile. If you are new to this podcast and you don't know what DCA is, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging and it is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 122nd stack. So far we've stacked 121 times, stacking a total of 2,420 US dollars and converting that into a pile of 8,349,614 sats. So our equal portion was $20. I wanted to keep it simple. I wanted to keep it an amount that pretty much anybody listening to me should be able to come up with on a weekly basis. And our regular interval, of course, is weekly. That's a you-do-you thing. There are services out there that let you DCA hourly. But most people that invest in anything usually do so on their payday. And for a lot of people, that works out to weekly or bi-weekly. So that's a you-do-you thing. But the important thing is that you invest a equal portion at regular intervals that you're consistent. So we chose $20 and we chose weekly and doing so we piled up 8.3 million sats and we did so at an average purchase price of $28,983 and 28 cents, which is a lot better than the, uh, than the first DCA Wednesday we stacked at. If we had yo it all in the price on that day was $39,716 so we're already doing a lot better than had we just yellowed in back in July of 2021. And as usual, we're going to add to our stack using Cash App. I grumbled about that last week because Cash App has a new fee structure, which I really don't like. I'm not a big fan of their spread. In addition to their fee, they always had their two and a quarter percent fee, but now they have a two and a quarter percent fee and a spread. They still make up for it right now, in my humble opinion, because they don't charge me to move my Bitcoin to cold storage. And with mining fees through the roof, it's still worth it. It's just infuriating. So I've got Cash App open on my phone. I already have $20 in there because uh, I pre-staged it because I was going to buy Bitcoin in the middle of the night. And I ended up having a uh, an order that I, I I had a limit order. Up. When Bitcoin dropped to 35500 I already had an order just in case it did that triggered. So woohoo, I bought the dip automatically. But I already have 20 bucks, so I'm tapping on Bitcoin, tapping on buy, entering $20, hitting confirm. 
And boom, just like that, we stacked another 52,172 sats. That is 10 sats fewer than we got last DCA Wednesday. Um, but still 52,000 sats for just 20 US dollars. Um, you know, one day, if Bitcoin hit dollar Bitcoin parity, that'd be $52,172 worth of Bitcoin. And that'd just be mind blowing that we could have stacked that for $10 that's, or $20. That's a lot like those stories five or six years ago where they said anybody who had put just $100 into Bitcoin 10 years ago would be a millionaire now. Uh, so who knows? Uh, that would be a long ways away in my humble opinion. But, you know, if we do hit hyper-Bitcoinization one day, not out of the question. Even if Bitcoin only hit dollar sat parity, that's $1 million Bitcoin, which I see no reason to believe that couldn't happen. That'd be $521.72 worth of Bitcoin for just $20. So again, we're not traders. We're not in this to make money we're in this to not lose money but it is nice to know that that we're still early and there's a potential that we haven't missed out on some pretty huge gains in the future so here's what pisses me off about this trade it says that we purchased bitcoin at a price of thirty-seven thousand two hundred eighty-six dollars and ninety cents. that's what the price of bitcoin was when i made the purchase though the spread it bumped it up to thirty-seven thousand four hundred seventy-one dollars and ninety-nine cents so almost two hundred dollars more that's their spread then they charge us the 45 cent fee that's that two and a quarter percent fee so our actual price when you factor in the fee and the spread was thirty eight thousand three hundred thirty four dollars and seventy four cents and that is significantly more that's one thousand one hundred dollars almost more expensive than the actual fair market value of bitcoin so shame on you cash app for doing that to us however that 52,000 sats raised our total stack up to 8.4 million sats now. We're getting closer to that 10 million sat stack. The longer Bitcoin stays, quote unquote, cheap, the more realistic it will be for us to hit that 10 million sats. But as of today, we now have 8,401,813 sats. Unfortunately, because we bought more expensive, especially with that spread, it bumped our average cost basis up by more than $58. So our average purchase price is now $29,041.35, still a heck of a lot cheaper than $35,000. Uh, and this will be completely moot if Bitcoin's 100000 or 200000 or a million one day, 29000 30000 kind of like the movie uh, Mr. Mom, where uh, she shoots the guy and the guy walks in and said, what did you use, a 38? She says, 38, 39, whatever it takes. It was a running gag in the movie. It's a scene where he, he's installing some wiring and she says, oh, did you do it 220? He's like, 220, 221, whatever it takes. So 220, 29, 38, whatever, it's all, it's all going to be some tiny little number when Bitcoin's worth a million dollars or more one day. All right, that is all I wanted to talk about today. Enjoy your Thanksgiving, plebs. Don't be too hard on your no-coiner no family members. They will pay attention. They will see the improvements in your life from being a Bitcoiner. They, they know you're a Bitcoiner. You know, let them know that you're there for them and that you're willing to help them out when the time comes. But don't, don't shove it down their throat because... Regardless of how good an educator you are, people have to come to Bitcoin on their own. Be the guy, though, that's willing to take their hand to help them out. The Uncle Jim that's willing to help them set up a node when they want to learn how to run their own node, uh, etc., to the best of your ability when the time is appropriate. But either way, don't forget to join us next Wednesday and every Wednesday while we grow this stack together on our DCA Wednesday series until there's just no more Bitcoin left to purchase. Nobody's willing to sell us any more sats anymore because we're on that glorious Bitcoin standard. But until that time, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers.